Please join me for the prayer of illumination. Father, as we open up this familiar scripture, we pray that the words, familiar as they are, will take life in our spirits. That through these words, we will hear the movement of your love in our direction. Help us to be inspired by them and to be able, through these words, to take action. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This morning's scripture, as you know, is Psalm 23, which is a very familiar scripture. And if you want to follow along, if you haven't memorized it, it's on page five, 501. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, and he restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. The word of the Lord. Well, once again, good morning. It is so good to see your faces, those of you who are here in person. For those of you at home, we're so glad you're with us as well. We know that we continue to be in a very unique space of in-between uh, in a lot of ways, and so it's just, it's just good to be together. Thank you. And in Christ's name, we have gathered. Now, before diving into our preaching text this morning, I would like to pause uh, to offer some clarity on the language in this letter to the Ephesians. We'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. And that's on the pages 192 and 193 in your Pew Bible, New Testament section. Now, cultural and social contexts are so important as we clue into what God is up to, as we see how God is at work, and, and the ways that God is unveiling God's self in the ancient world to show people the reconciling love that exists for them. Now, the Apostle Paul in this text is addressing a Greek context, what Jewish folks would have considered Gentiles. Now, in the very big picture frame, there are Jews, God's chosen nation, who we hear about through the Old Testament, and then there was everyone else, the Gentiles, the frame of God's narrative through the Bible is one of opening and expanding, moving from one community into many communities, Jews to Gentiles. And we know that there are tensions in how this movement took place. Could non-Jewish people belong in the family of God? That was an important question. What was required of them? Did they have to go all the way and become Orthodox 
in order to participate in Christ's love and family? These are the kinds of questions the first and second century Christian communities wrestled with. The question kind of distills down to this, is God's love big enough? So in this context, we hear a bit about the practice of circumcision. It's an ancient tradition where Hebrews, the Jews, marked their covenantal promises of God upon their bodies through circumcision. And we hear about this today and we say, what? What is this? Because it feels outside of our understanding of how we remember our faith or care for our bodies. But I encourage you to not be distracted by this today. Take this as an ancient custom. It is still something many communities participate in today and shouldn't be seen as barbaric or outdated so much as an earnest act of faithfulness for a particular time. The same could be said, and we're not going to unpack it today, but the same could be said about animal sacrifices and the way that those show up in the scriptures. These are practices that the ancient folks used to mark and sustain their faith and covenant with God. They were acts of faithfulness. Now, in our context today, as we hear our reading, we need to wrap our heads around the word circumcision and what it means for us today. So simply, when, I hear, when, you, when you hear me say the uncircumcision or the circumcision in this passage, I encourage you to hear it as outsider and insider. It's because that's really what's at the heart of this debate. Who is an outsider and who is an insider? Who belongs in God's family and who supposedly doesn't meet the requirements? As we'll see in this passage, the trouble with insider-outsider language is nothing new to the church. Our challenge today is to move past those lines in the sand that would divide us and find unifying, reconciling, family-making love in Christ that is for us all. Gentile and Jew, insider and outsider, saint and sinner, young and old. So now hear our preaching text from Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 11, or excuse me, 11 through 22. So then, remember that, you, that at one time you Gentiles by birth called the uncircumcision by those who were called the circumcision, a physical circumcision made in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers of the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Jesus Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace in his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall. That is, the, the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in the place of two, thus making peace and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. 
For through him, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple of the Lord, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place of God. Lord, may we be that dwelling place where you meet all of us on earth, that Christ in us might be a, sh a sign and a symbol of that reconciling oneness that you have for us. Lord, the grass withers and the flower fades, but your word stands forever. Amen. Now, the Apostle Paul writes to the Ephesian church from the position of a very properly trained Jewish teacher. He is an insider talking to outsiders. And so, as we know, his language can seem a bit harsh as it opens with, remember that time you were without Christ, having no hope and without God in the world. This perspective situates him squarely in the insider camp. But we can't be distracted or disheartened by this. Rather, he becomes an example of one who tears down the walls as he has received his transformation in Christ. He is the Jew of all Jews, and is proclaiming the wide, expansive opening of God's love for all people. Paul goes on to proclaim that it is through the love and blood of Christ that the walls between the communities are broken down. We become together one flesh in Christ. We become, as we hear in verse 19, citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God. Now, how does this all of a sudden happen? Why is the boundary that was so strong for so long, or at least it seemed so, now torn down? There is a rich theological tradition surrounding how Christ's life, death, and resurrection made a way for all peoples of all nations to become members of the family of God. But for the sake of our time, Let's distill it down a little bit here. The nation of Israel, the Hebrew people, were chosen by God to be a light to the nations. Note, I'm saying a light to the nations, not a community cut off or sequestered from the nations. No, ancient Israel was meant to be a light that drew all people to God through their faithfulness and their witness. If we think back a few weeks to our studies of the book of Samuel, this is one of the real key distinctions between the kingship of Saul and the kingship of David. The people wanted Saul to be a king like all the kings of the nations, a warlord, an example, a powerful ruler who would help them conquer and take the land. Now David, on the other hand, was a king after God's own heart. A king who, though deeply flawed, 
was to be a faithful sign to the nations, a foreshadowing of a king who would welcome the stranger. David making Jerusalem home for the people of Israel is also making Israel a light to the nations. And so, what does Christ do? Well, Christ comes and becomes the great reconciler once and for all. He becomes the king that welcomes all. He becomes the defeater of death. Death for all people for all time. It is through this perfect king, this beloved son of God, that the flesh of people who were once deeply divided can become one flesh, one body, reconciled and united as God's people. Jesus does this by undoing the power of death. Ultimately, isn't that what divides us? That connection to the fear of death and the hostility and division that rises out of that fear? We grasp for more life, more power, more protection against the fight in which the, the fight against death and decay. In Christ, though, death is defeated. Death occurs, but for those in Christ, death does not have the final word. Let's hear again verses 17 through 22 as it summarizes this for us. So Christ came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the family of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple of the Lord, in whom you were also built together spiritually into the dwelling place for God. In Christ, the divided peoples of the world have become the dwelling place of God. Can we hear that? That good, good news there? In Christ, our divisions give way to all of us becoming knit together and forming a structure, a strong structure, a community built on a solid rock that can stand, and that can provide shelter for all who hurt and struggle and need help and long for peace. Friends, this is good news. Can I get an amen there? I know, we're Presbyterians. But in Christ, we are no longer estranged. We're no longer insiders or outsiders. We are in Christ a whole people, with all of our uniqueness, all of our diversity, all of our differences that make us stronger, and they're no longer weaknesses. So friends, let's bring this on home and put the good news into our context. What does this mean for us here in Bellingham, Washington, as people at St. James Presbyterian Church on the beautiful South Hill in Fairhaven? What does this mean for us? Well, this week I had an interaction with a woman on Facebook. 
see where this might go. Um, <clears throat> somehow she found our church Facebook page and made a comment wondering at why we had a rainbow-colored logo for our church, which I put up last month for our pride celebrations. She wondered whether we were supportive of LGBTQ folks and if we were condoning their sin. It seemed that she was baiting someone to have a conversation like this. And so I said, well, hey, I'm on vacation. Why not? <laughs> but I responded. And I said, hey, we believe that LGBTQ folks are beloved by God. And not only are they welcomed in our community, but we celebrate the gifts that they bring to who we are. That they are people who bear the image of God, just like you and me. We're made better by having folks of all kinds in our community. We're made better and stronger because it adds to the diversity and the nuance of who we can be as a full-fledged whole people. We are made better by those who are different and those who are the same as us. I told this woman, kindly, that she could expect the same welcome when she walked through our doors as well, if she ever found herself here. Though I do believe she might live on the other side of the country which made the conversation all the more interesting. But we are a community that will welcome and say, you are loved, even if you bring hostility like that, even with your questions, even with your uniqueness. It's a beautiful opportunity for us to bear witness to Christ. Anyway, I think my reply disarmed her. And she replied back that she was surprised that we were a church that would be welcoming. And I felt a sense that she was grateful to have not gotten into a fight, which I'm not very good at either, and would not have enjoyed. So many communities want to put up walls or set standards that exclude. And I know that we will be the first to admit that we're not perfect in that regard. But we do also strive to be a people of loving welcome to underscore the beauty of sexual identities. Where our world often wants to draw lines in the sand around what's a sin and what's allowable, I believe our work is to recognize the brokenness in all ourselves that leads to fear and death. And then at the same time, to celebrate love and the fullness of human expression that leads us to be reconciled and united in Christ. There are so many things that can divide us today. Our religion, our politics, our social standing, our skin color, what flags we fly, who we give our money to, what we eat and drink, what medical advice we will and won't trust, how we raise our kids. I look out at all of you this morning and acknowledge that there are so many things that can divide each of us from each other. You might not like that I'm wearing a short sleeve shirt today. And perhaps that divides us. There's a lot of nice short sleeve shirts out there, by the way. Are we oriented toward disunity? 
Are we afraid of what will divide us? Here's the beauty of how the good news plays out for us in Christ. For me and the woman on Facebook, our angles and perspectives could lead us to division and strife. We could fight it out. I do love a good theological argument, but I don't like it on that medium. But I can also absolutely argue for what she was wanting to fight with me about, fully. I am happy to argue for full inclusion of all people, of all gender identities and sexual orientations. I can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with someone on that. Happy to. But the beauty is, though, that what seem to be our divisions can actually also draw us together. I'm going to kind of take us to a very different example that is tame, but I think will hopefully show us something. I don't think that Aaron Caruso will mind if I share our debate over the quality of Superman, Wonder Woman, and Batman movies that we continue to fight about. Playfully. Simply put, I like the style of the DC comic movies that have come out recently, and Aaron doesn't. Is that fair, Aaron? It's a good nod and a thumbs up. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> we've argued playfully about this many times. Um, but rather than be at odds with one another, this disagreement that we actually have makes me feel closer to Aaron. It makes me feel drawn closer to him as a friend, as a colleague in ministry. And so that while we can argue about the quality of certain movies, we can also then learn how to have healthy disagreements and make easy unity and progress together where it really matters. We can work together because we can acknowledge each other's difference. And I love that. Now, neither of us is going to die on a hill about the quality of action movies, but I hope you see what's going on in this illustration. That we are better together, collectively, as a people of God because of our differences. The insider-outsider language can actually be helpful here if it invites greater understanding and a step toward in unity through it all. We do away with distinctions and we become one, united in our diversity. Our particularities are not erased, rather we become a more healthy whole body in Christ as we acknowledge those differences and come together in them. I'll close with this. As I said, there is much that will divide us today. We have been pulled apart by a global pandemic and a racial unveiling and apocalypse. We have felt the political divide open up around all of us. The ones who have access to resources are already making better, uh, are able to weather the climate change crisis that we are facing better than others. But as the people of God, in Christ, we have another way of handling these divisions. We look outward from ourselves and look how we can support each other's difference. What does your sexual orientation tell me about mine? And how might I learn? What do your perspectives on the climate impact me with and the choices I will make as I watch you? What does being a black person in America offer me as a white man in education, perspective, 
and service and care, that we might all find healing through our differences. Friends, let us put death to death, along with all hostility and division. Let us be as Christ, reconciling all things, all people, coming together to be a family, united in our differences, to the glory of God. Amen.